watching The Godfather? The Godfather. I've never seen it. Oh my God, you've never seen The Godfather? This movie is a rich blend of Coppola's aesthetic genius. Thank you for listening to No Cure for Curiosity, a podcast for curious people. I am Shani Luft, a professor of religious studies and administrator at the University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point. I created No Cure for Curiosity to encourage and promote the skill set of curiosity as an essential part of an education and lifelong learning. This episode continues my conversation with media studies professors Carrie Elza and Kelly Wills from the last episode. After we talked about the Barbie movie, we got into a conversation about some of the biggest media stories from 2023, and then we shared some of our favorite movies and TV shows from last year. I did a similar episode a year ago about our favorite media from 2022, and it was popular enough that I thought I'd try it again this year. I also brought back a guest from that episode to talk about her favorite novels from last year. You'll hear from her a little later. I will drop the list of movies and TV shows and books in the show notes so you don't have to remember these. If you are a fan of any of these suggestions, or if you want to share your own favorite media from 2023, let me know on Facebook or Instagram at No Cure for Curiosity Podcast. I'd love to hear what you watched last year. I want to carve out a little time here just to t- reflect on media in 2023. And I want to talk about Barbie just because it was the one of the biggest pieces of movie news of the year. But there was also a lot of other big media stories as well as other media we might want to recommend. When you think back to this past year, what caught your attention? Strikes and AI. I mean, those are the two big, big things. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I I know people who are involved in both strikes. And so it was really important for them to do that. You know, as, as we've had this kind of transition to streaming, writers, actors were totally getting screwed over. I mean, they're also like, there's, it must be said that, you know, post-production artists, crew, everybody's been getting screwed over with streaming Mm -hmm. residuals and and the the way that the system works now. And so revisiting that was so important. And I just like, hats off, cannot give nearly enough respect for everybody holding, holding their guns. There's going to be aftershocks in, in the, in the industry in, in terms of what gets made. Right. Me personally, I'm hoping that that means that we're going for quality over quantity. There's just so much stuff out there that if we do have a kind of um, a, a little bit of a ratcheting down of the deluge of content, I think that would be maybe a little bit good in terms of the way that affects AI. Like, hats off. They did it. Can you explain what you mean by they did it? Like, who who did what? So one of the things that, that that happened during the writer's strike is they refused to roll over on the topic of AI. Um, mm-hmm. And the studios really, really wanted them to accept the idea that, nope, we're just going to meet annually to talk about AI. <laughs> and they said, no, 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 we need, we need actual rules and protections against the use of AI and the idea that we all still have jobs and that shit is not just the only thing produced now regurgitations of ideas and stories and images that have already been out there and the idea that that we the the writers said no these are the percentages of ai that we can use these are the credits that need to happen those details uh are important so the fact that those concessions were won and those concessions are also won for the actors Mm -hmm. so uh that's big it was really, really important that AI get addressed right out of the gate. And it was, right. and that's good. 
That, that's a fascinating topic. The, the issue of the strikes is because I think we are living in this golden age of content. And there's also yeah. uh, not just more content, but more great movies and TV shows and series than there has ever been at one time in history of media. And yet that has not redounded to the benefit of the people who are making it. It's like there's this inverse right. relationship between the greatest content uh, is available to us at the cheapest prices that have ever been available to us. And the people making it are, can't live off the amount of money they're being paid to write television shows for Netflix. I think that's something that a lot of people were not aware of until these strikes forced people to think about it. No, but the, the idea to have control over your own image, though, mm -hmm. um, like physical image. I remember who's the actress that plays um, Hermione Granger in the Harry Potter movies? Um, Emma Watson. Yes, yes, name? Emma Watson. Mm -hmm. They people were making pornography uh, with her image on it, right? Like, I feel like that should be illegal, <laughs> right? Like, you should not be able to create artificial intelligence images of anyone using their likeness um, for, to, to do anything. I think having control over our own data has been an issue for years. Uh, that still has not been sort of addressed seriously either. Um, but I think that really is just scary. And so, yeah, I think having all of your likeness is something that we haven't even started to explore yet in terms of revenge porn, in terms of that kind of, of gross really, thing is going on um, that fortunately our, our lawmakers have not taken seriously yet. A few years ago, it, there was Fred Astaire dancing with a, a vacuum cleaner right. in a commercial. And I was like, oh, no, is this what we're going to start doing? Yeah, and and it just like it set off all these alarm bells. One of my worries is this idea of just cultural sameness and the repetition of yeah, the same right. shit, the same problematic ideas and images, the the same issues over and over and over again into this just constant stew of formula. And I think mm -hmm. this is a segue, but it, I think that this relates to f franchise fatigue, which is very real. Yeah. That was the other media story I wanted to ask you about is the uh, collapse of the MCU. That was also a story of 2023 is because Disney, Marvel, Star Wars have dominated for a, over a decade. And I was amazed that how poorly The Flash did, how poorly the last Aquaman movie did. And it reminds me a little bit, Carrie, I was curious what you thought of. A p this period in the 70s where Hollywood kind of didn't know what to do anymore. And so that's when like George Lucas and that's when like the, the modern blockbuster was invented. <laughs> I'm wondering if we're in this moment now of Hollywood doesn't quite know what the hell people want to watch. And so they'll end up just giving money to a lot of creative people like Greta Gerwig and say, why don't you do something? Because we don't know what audiences want to see. And that's how we ended up with, you know, Steven Spielberg and, uh, and, and, and The Godfather and those kinds of movies in the first place is because a new generation of directors was there. Does that connection, that historical connection make any sense to you? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that it's important to note that Greta Gerwig is dealing with existing IP. Right. So it's not like she they were going in cold, like say, here, mm -hmm. have these millions of dollars and just have fun. <laughs> it was a pre-sold property. But so was Jaws, right? Like Jaws was pre-sold right. property too, because already, you know, the the book, like everybody knew the book. So it and and Godfather was too. Mm -hmm. The Godfather, if you will. Right. And the Exorcist, right? Yeah. That was also an yeah. Exorcist. Yeah. So all so a lot of what we consider like new Hollywood like late 1960s, and then we move into the blockbuster era in the early 1970s. 
there was this kind of sense of freedom, like the influence of the French New Wave, like we're going to do different stuff. Yeah. And that's really good. Like, I hope that's what's happening. The other thing I've noticed about these um, huge, giant $300 billion movies, we've ex- seems to have exhausted all of the special effects houses in the entire, on, on planet Earth. And the human beings who have to frame by frame draw these things, they're exhausted. And I think that the the special effects houses are not unionized in such a way that they have that much control over their careers and their livelihood. But holy cow, it seems like Hollywood burns them to the ground. And they can't seem to find enough people to make these movies look good anymore. They're not striking, but I think that they, they've been tapped out. There is this very real sense of, of post-production artists being exploited. And I think it's really good that more people are aware of that. Um, the grueling pace that the poor MCU post-production people have been put through. Like, oh my God. So, it, you know, in terms of hopeful, hopefully changes that get made, I hope that their, their, their jobs are not AI-ized. Right. I hope that what happens is that instead they actually evolve to be more humane. I, I watched The Flash when it was like free on streaming and it felt like it was written by AI. I mean, it really did. Oh, like there was like 10 things we need to put in Marvel movie. Let's just check the boxes. I hope that what Barbie has taught anyone is that people really want to see thoughtful movies. People want to really, really want to see labors of, of love that that have dialogue that makes sense, that have mm-hmm. stories that, that actually um, have have funny jokes to them that like people care about set making. I mean, I hope that the the, the takeaway isn't we need more movies about toys. Right? Like, right. I feel like that is one takeaway from this is that oh, we just need to find another brand to make a movie about. Um, but I feel like that has been the real downfall of the last Marvel movies that I have seen too, is just this phoning it in. It does not feel like anyone is loving doing this work. I wanted to end on recommendations. What are some of your favorite movies, TV shows, media that people could watch or read or listen to uh, from this past year that they missed? Past Lives, a movie that is just beautiful. I like movies, again, that I feel like I've never seen before. Um, And it's the story of uh, a woman who reconnects with a platonic love interest and sort of sees if there's anything there. And her husband sort of allows her to go on this journey. And it's just really beautiful and, and thoughtful and in a way that broke my heart a million pieces, but in a really great way. And so, yeah, past lives, if you haven't seen it, it's beautiful. Okay. Um, I watched Anatomy of a Fall the other night. I want to see that. Wow. Wow, was that smart. That Wait, is. I don't know what that is. Is it a movie? Yeah, it's a movie. Both of them are films. Sorry. Uh, so okay. both came out in 2023. Anatomy of a Fall, the husband dies and we're trying to figure out like who did it. Like, did, did the wife kill him? It's sort of a trial, but it's such a smart commentary on marriage, on relationships, on the ways in which the public can take apart um, pieces and bits of your marriage and, and make inferences about it. Um, the child who acts in that is brilliant. I have no idea what his name is, but I hope he gets all the Oscars. I hope she gets all the Oscars. The woman, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember anyone's name, but I remember the name of the, the movies. So Past Lives was just gorgeous and Anatomy of a Fall was incredible. So those would be my two um, film recommendations. Thank you for the suggestions. Carrie, any particular movies or shows that are your favorites from this past year? I mean, there's a lot of movies that haven't come to our area that I want to see. Okay. Like the new Godzilla movie. Oh, yeah. It's supposed to be so good and I want to see it so bad. 
I will say that Across the Spider-Verse was super good. Like, I loved it. And it also led my six and a half year old to want to get a drum set because Gwen Stacy has one. And so now I've got that going on in my life, which is fun. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I, I, lo- I really like the first one. And I, I thought the second one was incredibly creative. The thing I love about Across the Spider-Verse is if you're a huge Spider-Man fan like I am, there are so there are so many layers to this yeah. that's so fun. But you don't have to come into it knowing anything to enjoy the movie. And it's incredibly visually creative and interesting. I think Spider-Man in general is so far, knock on wood, resisting the MCU backlash. I do think that Spider-Man's still doing all right. I'm happy about that because I like Spider-Man a lot. In terms of television shows that I watched this year that I really like, I'm watching Fargo right now. Mm -hmm. The fifth season of it is really great. And I'm super loving the fifth season of Fargo. It's not done yet. So that's good. I also watched The Bear. Yes. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's so good that I made the screenwriting class watch the pilot. And we read the script for it. I really loved it. I watched The Bear uh, in the past two or three months also. And um, it was amazing. I I want The Bear to win all of the Emmys. The cast, the writing, the special guests. It's a remarkable show. I also love cooking and love cooking shows. So it's fun just on the level of how they film food being made and prepared. <laughs> yeah. But it's also a great drama and it's funny. God, it's a great show. That Seven Fishes episode. Yes. Harrowing. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing that I'll give a shout out to is the Flanagan shows. So I watched Fall of the House of Usher. If like me, sometimes you just really need to see something extremely messed up on your television. I do recommend Fall of the House of Usher. I enjoyed that. I loved that. Thank you for that recommendation. Kelly, you also recommended the movie Saltburn, which I'm not even sure I'd heard of before you recommended it. And so I watched it in preparation for seeing you today. And what I wanted to share with you is there are certain movies that I watch that affect me so greatly. I I, I can't even use the word like or dislike. It's like I have to yes. process the experience of having watched them. The movie A Clockwork Orange did that to me too. In fact, I think every Stanley Kubrick movie does that to me. But Saltburn is fascinating and really leaves you with a lot to think about. What made you recommend it? What did you like about it? So I always try to like look for like what are the Oscar buzzy movies. I also I I really personally liked Promising Young Woman. That was also a very divisive movie, but that was Ambrosonell's first movie. This is her second movie. So as a director, I was interested in terms of like I wonder what she's gonna do because I really appreciated a lot of the things about Promising Young Woman. I also knew Barry Keegan was in it, who I think is brilliant. He was amazing in Banshees of Inishera. He was amazing in um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is also so weird. And, and one of those movies, too, were just like, did I hate this? Or did I love in it? Or like, yeah. I just, I feel very uncomfortable. And so with Saltburn, too, I don't know if I like it or even love it. But any movie that just makes me like think, what did I just watch? What yeah. what was the meaning of this? What did it, What did I just experience? I appreciate that. I think films that are divisive are worth seeing to have an opinion on. We're going to get back to talking about our favorite media in 2023 in just a moment. But before that, I wanted to share a quick story with you. I'm preparing this episode to be released in mid-January. And this time of year, it begins to get dark in Wisconsin around 4.30. I hate it. I find I'm less productive in the afternoon because I'm kind of sleepy and my body is slowing down. And I've tried drinking coffee and I've tried those sad lights, seasonal affective disorder. 
But a while ago, a company called Magic Mind reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in trying it and sharing my experience on No Cure for Curiosity. Magic Mind comes in these little two-ounce bottles that include stuff like ashwagandha, which is supposed to reduce stress and anxiety, and adaptogens, which are supposed to enhance mental clarity and improve cognition. I don't know a lot about that stuff, but I was curious to see how it worked, and so I tried it for a week. And I really liked it. I felt like drinking Magic Mind helped me avoid that afternoon crash, and I felt more focused and motivated. In fact, I edited two episodes of the podcast after taking Magic Mind, and I got them done faster than before. Magic Mind is giving listeners of No Cure for Curiosity a discount if they want to try it out for themselves. If you go to Magic Mind's website and enter the code CURIOSITY20, Magic Mind will give you 20% off your next order. And they have an extra promotion if you place an order in January. You've got a little time left. Go to magicmind.com forward slash Jan Curiosity. That's J-A-N Curiosity, like one word. Magic Mind will give you a month for free if you order a three-month supply. Thank you to Magic Mind for supporting No Cure for Curiosity. And now, my next guest. I brought back the fastest reader I know to talk about her favorite books from this past year. My name is Paula Weitzenberg. I live in Arizona, and I love reading. And in the last year or so, I've really also finally found my way to audiobooks. So now I would say that I'm averaging two books a week. So I had a lot to choose from uh, when you asked me to come up with my, my list for this year. And I did something a little bit different this year. I chose two of the, my favorite books that I read in 2023 and two other books that were hugely popular in 2023, but I didn't like them. So oh, I thought readers might want to know about them because, you know, not everybody agrees with me, obviously, and, and they were... They're from famous authors and worth bringing forward. It'll be a little spicier this time. It'll be a more exciting conversation, a hot take on some popular books. Yeah. All right. What's the first book? Where do you want to begin? The first book is called Firekeeper's Daughter. Who who wrote it? Angeline Bouley. It's actually classified as a YA book, but I am not a YA and I really liked it. This is the one about an indigenous person. She is actually... Her father is indigenous and her mother is from a white, wealthy family. So uh, I think it's kind of what you hear about biracial people. If they just feel they don't fit in in either sides of their family or in a lot of places in society. It's a mystery uh, and it covers topics like poverty, drug, sexual assault, death and family support. So it's not a super happy book. But it was a really enjoyable read. The characters were interesting. Is it so? It, you said it's a mystery. Is it a murder mystery? It is a murder mystery. I feel like almost all mysteries are now murder mysteries. People don't <laughs> want to solve what what happened to my other sock. <laughs> I think you're right. These are all murder mysteries. Yeah, <laughs> it's the only kind of mystery we care about. So, what did you like about this book about Firekeeper's daughter? I liked the way it was written. I thought the story was really interesting. I uh, I don't often read books about Native American people and the struggles that they go through. And a lot of it, you know, like how all religions have overlap. Um, I was able to compare it to other religions and other backgrounds that I know. Mm. Like they they have a funeral. At the funeral, they keep the fire going. And I compared it in my notes to a four-day shiva. Yeah. And um, these people have spirit names, which made me think of Hebrew names. It's also really interesting about how they value women so much. They mm-hmm. talk about, there was one quote I had to write down, the creator gives out gifts. The first man got the ability to pee standing up, 
and the first woman got multiple orgasms. I mean, how could you not love a book that says that, right? <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah, it really is. Excellent. Firekeeper's Daughter. So what's your second choice? What was your other book that you liked? The second choice is called Happiness Fall by Angie Kim. Also a mystery, also about murder. <laughs> like you said, that's a, 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 an important topic. This one also takes place in society right now. Actually, it takes place during COVID, which was really interesting to read the book. And I've read a few books where I think authors really had time to write during COVID and they incorporate that into their story. And that's pretty interesting to read about. And I think it will be interesting in, as time goes on in 20, 30, however many years when people pick up these books and read about COVID. Yeah. So, in this book, it's told in the narrative of this college-aged girl whose younger brother and father go missing at the very start of the novel. And then the brother comes home, but the father does not. And the brother is nonverbal. And so everyone is trying to figure out what happened, and it's difficult for him to communicate. And a lot of the book focuses on that, on what the family has done to be able to communicate with him and how society treats them. And, and, and I saw something, I think it's the author says at the end about ableism in this country and how, you know, everyone expects people to live up to the, the norm. Mm -hmm. And, and the book spends a lot of time, I think a bit too much time, but it's interesting trying to scientifically quantify happiness. And what makes a person happy? Is it, you know, is it money that makes you happy? Is it the ability to speak that makes you happy? You know, can, can you be in a bad situation and still be happy? And I think you, we hear other scientists and, and other people looking into this. And That's a big topic in psychology right now. Yeah. Happiness studies. Don't have to be rich and powerful always to be happy. There are people right. who have very simple lives who are happy. So I thought that was a, an important read. Is it like predictable ahead of time? Are you the kind of person that like can figure out mystery novels before you get there? No, I, I'm not really good at guessing. So, um, you know, I, it started, it, it more unraveled like that onion type of expression and you see it yeah. happening as they figure out, figure it out. And it was a really good character development too, because there's the mom and a brother, and two. Well, there's two brothers. There's the one who who was involved in the incident, and then there's another older brother and the older sister, and they all have different personalities and different ways of approaching the problem. I'm curious about uh, when you read these books. Did you actually read them? Did you read the books like uh, uh, digitally or paper, or did you listen to them on Audible? I read all of these digitally. I was curious because sometimes an Audible book. Part of what I like about Audible is if you get a really good reader. They add so much to the story and their and their the voice and their acting ability. Well, all right, I'm throwing in a bonus book then. The bonus <laughs> book is an audible called Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. Ann Patchett's a very popular author. Okay. But Meryl Streep read the book and it is beautiful to listen to her narrate it. And you really feel like it's richer listening to her read. Excellent. It's Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. It's also a story during COVID. This woman, as some of us had to do, families came home during COVID, you know, at left, you, you didn't, all the adult children had to come back and they hadn't all lived together in years. Mm -hmm. And so there's that adjustment period and how they're spending their time during that time. And the mom is telling them a story about her youth 
And she's telling them the story about when she was in the show, Our Town. Mm-hmm. It tells you a lot about being in that play. But then that was when, when she was a teen, so like in the 70s, which is so another time frame. And then, of course, now what they're actually going through now. Excellent. All right. So you, you uh, those are two books plus one bonus book that you recommend. Right. You really enjoyed last year. And you also said you had two books that were really popular, but you didn't like. So what's one of them? Okay. So yeah, I'm going to tell you about those books. And then I want your listeners to write in and tell us whether they like them or not, because I know I'm in the minority. Okay. The first one's called The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. And just um, James McBride had... Um, is famous for writing a memoir called The Color of Water. Yeah. You may have actually read that book. Mm-hmm. It came out in 1995, um, and the author is a black man, but he has a Jewish mother, and she was actually, actually an Orthodox Jew who then married a black man and went on to have a whole bunch of children mm-hmm. and had to help them as a single mom at some points with, with growing up. Right. That's The Color of Water. The Color of Water. Yeah. yeah. So what what's The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store about? The Husband and Earth Grocery Store is a fictional book, mm-hmm. also a mystery. It takes place in the 1970s in Pennsylvania, and the community is made up of Jewish and Black people. Okay. And it's about what, I'm reading a quote here, what they do to help when the state decides to institutionalize a 12-year-old Black boy named Dodo, who's been branded deaf and dumb. Mm. And a group of characters get together to try to try to save the boy. So it's an unlikely pairing of characters, but they mm-hmm. live in this community together. You know how there's often communities that Jews lived in, poorer communities, and then black people start coming in and some Jews start moving out. But the, here are the Jews that stayed and their relationships together and, and how they work together. So why didn't you like the book? You know, I think you're going to ask me that. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know exactly, but I just, I didn't enjoy reading it, and I didn't like the characters. None of the mm-hmm. characters were very likable, but I kept with it. Like Often, if I start a book and I don't like it, I will quit. But this one and the next one, I kept with it because everyone told me, you're going to love this. This is the great bo- greatest book of the year. So you know, I stuck with it to see what would happen, and they didn't, they didn't change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> when you're reading a book, is it do, does characters or plot keep you more engrossed? Characters. Okay. I really like to study characters, especially learn about the way different people think and, and, and their behavior more than the plot. So in the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store, um, the characters were just unlikable. You just didn't enjoy following their stories. Yeah, they were unlikable characters, all huh. of them. But interesting. They were yeah. they were quirky characters. So mm-hmm. I, maybe you know other people might have enjoyed that more than I did. Okay, what's the last book? So the last book is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Okay. Also a very famous author. And she won a Pulitzer Prize for this book. Wow. So and, you're definitely in the minority. And this book, it's dip, the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store, I didn't love. I didn't see what all the hype was about. This book, I disliked and absolutely regretted reading. Wow. <laughs> so, please don't tell Barbara. I hope she's not a subscriber. <laughs> but it was relentlessly sad. It was very long. And I just kept saying, okay, Something good is going to happen somewhere along, and it just didn't. So it was about the opioid crisis and foster care in Appalachia. I mean, it's an important topic. And she says, and many other people have said, 
that David Copperfield provided the inspiration for this book. Mm-hmm. And I have a real quote here. Many generations ago, da- Charles Dickens wrote David Copperfield from his experience as a survivor of institutional poverty and its damages to children in society. Those problems have yet to be solved in ours. Dickens is not a prerequisite for readers of this novel, but he provided its inspiration. Demon Copperhead speaks for a new generation of lost boys and all those boys born into beautiful, cursed places they can't imagine leaving behind. And I absolutely agree with that. That is what the book did, and it was important. But it's hard to read about that poverty and mistreatment of children. Yeah. Uh, do you Have you read other books by Barbara Kingsolver? Are you a fan of her books generally? Yes, I read all of her books, and I okay. definitely recommend her books. <laughs> She's very prolific. She is, and she writes a lot about issues in this country and the underrepresented people. So I, I like her politics, and I like her take on things. This book, I just thought she, she just needed to put in a little humor, a little something to... to sometimes you can read books even about the worst things, even about the Holocaust and things like that, but they can be done where they just don't weigh on you like this one. Right. All right. These are all really interesting suggestions. Um, two books you like, plus a, a bonus Audible book, and then two books that are really popular, but that you didn't take to for various reasons. Right. That's fantastic. I feel like um, it'll give people a lot to talk about. And I, like you, am very interested if other people read uh, the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store or Demon Copperhead, and if they had a different reaction to it, uh, what they have to say, I'd love to hear people get back to us. Definitely. If Barbara Kingsolver reaches out, I will definitely uh, send her your phone number so you and she can talk about it. <laughs> no, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm already on my way till next year's lift. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate and review No Cure for Curiosity in your favorite podcast app. It's the best way to help new people find the show. Thanks to Magic Mind for supporting this episode. And come to Facebook and Instagram and share some of your favorite media from 2023. I'm already preparing the next episode for February. I can't wait for you to hear it. Our theme song is written by Derek Carden, and our logo is by artist and graphic designer Ryan Drymiller. You can see links to more of their work in the show notes to our podcast. Sorry, I probably shouldn't take a drink. Not a problem. Through the magic of editing, no one will ever hear this. <laughs>